Our ancestors traveled through salt and stars, and so do contemporary Pacific Islander communities today. In this podcast, we consider how to build good relations with the communities we come from in Oceania, the communities we live with here in the Salt Lake City area, and especially the indigenous communities whose lands we live on. As Pacific Islander people who live in Utah, we are nourished by the lands of the Ute, Goshute, Shoshone, and Paiute peoples. We are far from the ocean, but close to the salt water of the Great Salt Lake. We are far from the night sky over our home islands, but can look up and see the same stars. Join us as we explore and build relations of salt and stars. Relations of Salt and Stars is a new podcast produced by the Pacific Island Studies Program at the University of Utah and hosted by faculty members Dr. Angela L. Robinson, who's Chookies, and myself, Dr. Miley Arvin, and I'm Kanaka Mali, our Native Hawaiian. With the name Relations of Salt and Stars, we invoke the ties historically forged between the Pacific Islands and Utah, as well as the ones still in formation. Ground a limb and welcome back. This episode, split into two parts, explores stories of gardens, what they teach us, the medicine they offer, and the connections they allow us to make between the lands we live on and our homelands. Miley and I will each share our own stories of gardening, and we will also share some highlights of our recent event, Planting Good Relations, which featured a panel discussion with a number of Native American and Pacific Islander leaders who steward community gardens here in the Salt Lake City area. This land is Ute, Goshute, Paiute, and Shoshone land. None of us are of these peoples. We all have homelands elsewhere. As we talk and think about gardening this land, we hope to come into better relation with these peoples and this place. As you'll hear, many of our panelists are doing this work by offering medicine grown in these gardens to the community and by creating space for Indigenous youth and families to find healing, nurturance, or to just be. In this episode, we highlight and offer brief responses to some of our favorite insights panelists shared. The whole panel offered so much love and wisdom to everyone present that we had to separate this episode into two parts. So you're listening to the first part, which I, Angela, am leading, and Miley will lead the second part. You can watch a video of this panel or listen to the full audio of the panel on our YouTube page, The Pacifica Archive, with the handle The Pacifica Archive 2650. Please check out the full bios and links to our panelists' organizations in the show notes of this episode to learn more about their work and how you can support it. You'll hear from Danae Shandine from the Carry the Water Garden, Dee Platero and Michelle Brown with the Pandos Three Sisters Garden at the Ogwai People's Orchard and Garden, Lucia Satini from the Utah Pacific Islander Civic Engagement Coalition's Margarita Satini Mural and Garden, and Jake Fittissimano Jr. with the Healthy Roots Program from the Utah Pacific Islander Health Coalition. Here, the panelists introduce themselves and their work. Yate, everyone. My people, my relatives. It's beautiful to see so many faces. My name is Dene Shandine. I am born to the Dene Nation, otherwise known as the Navajo Nation. 
Um, and that lineage is through my mother. Um, on my father's side, um, well, for my clan, for my mother is Hanagaki, we're the ones who walk around clan. And um, I'm also born to the Korean race. Um, so I have that on my father's side. My grandfather's clan is Kintlachini. And um, my father's father is the Laguna White. The community I started a garden called Carry the Water. Um, it's located kind of like in Rose Park area. Um, it's about one, less than one acre. Um, the origin of the garden started with a, a black relative, a black queer relative who really, from their core, understands how to be in good relation. Um, you know, based on all the traumas that we experience, um, shared traumas, individual traumas. Um, and then also, she had, or they had a connection to a white woman who actually works at the U, Libby Haslam. Um, she is on the board of the Design Build Buff program. So we know that Libby had connections with the indigenous communities, and I know that they build a lot down in like Bluff, Utah, um, working with Navajo students and trying to do like traditional building practices. So we really trusted, like when you're entering those relationships with white people, you're like, okay, how do I navigate this? Um, but she had this plot of land that she's not using um, for quite some time. And indefinitely, like the plan is to return that stewardship over that land to um, community, to the BIPOC community, to the indigenous community. And so that is, that's still in the process, and I think that will take like years to come to see what like, that actually turns into, whether we can actually reclaim that for ourselves, if we have to buy it back for ourselves. But right now we're blessed to steward this land, get to know it. Um, and right now, like the garden has started for about a year. We've run into some, um, you know, there's been so much support with community. I think that people are really starting to realize right now how important it is to support the indigenous communities, especially, you know, the air that we're breathing right now. Um, all the stuff that's going on, how it affects our bodies, these industrialized societies, it all reflects in our bodies, our minds, our spirits. The noise, um, not having a safe space just for indigenous people. And so I think that's what we, those are our values to begin with. Hi all, um, I'm Dee Platero. I am born for Edge of the Water Clan and my mother is from Pioneer Settlers. So my paternal side is from, I'm a tribal member of the Navajo Nation as well. So I'm Dene. Um, I've lived in Utah for my whole life, so I'd like to say I've traveled around the state a little bit, lived in southern Utah and northern Utah, and I've loved every bit of it. So I love the red rock and I love the mountains, and I just love being outside, enjoying the nature here. It's a very special place to me because it has a lot of familial roots for myself on both sides of my family. Um, but I'm here from the Pandos organization, and that has brought me a lot of community and also a chance to express interests um, through my indigenous like 
Pinterest as well. So. Everyone, I am also Navajo from my father's side and Panamanian from my mother's side. My father was raised in Two Gray Hills, New Mexico. I was lucky enough to live on that land for a short time and also visit um, as often as I possibly can. Um, I work with Pandas as well and I'm the current chair of Murdered and Missing Indigenous Relatives Utah. And we work really closely with the Ogwai Garden here in Salt Lake City. The, the Ogwai has been a wonderful place to be able to have the Three Sisters Garden. Um, what's really incredible about that, um, and then working so closely with uh, murdered and missing indigenous relatives as well, is that what we do is ensure that like the medicine that is grown there is available to the community. Um, we actually have founders of the Ogwa here with us today in the audience, Tom and Dee. They have put their lifeblood into the garden and of course it's a community space. And so, you know, having that designated plot to grow medicine and to access that and offer that to families has been insurmountable <coughs> so much. And I know that we always have like some bag of plants with us of whether it's sweet grass or sage or any other sacred medicine and having that plot and having the relationships with the community has been really incredible Malolele, my name is licia uh, satini and i am um, in connection she mentioned Ogwai, so i'm gonna um, bring that i was asked to be here um, on behalf of a family members. So we have a, a mural that sits at the Agway Garden. I love how she shared um, about the <clears throat> the mural and the event. So when I think about what kind of events or what kind of work we've done, um, we do a lot of, she mentioned networking, collaborating, um, healthy roots. When she talks about there's not space or land, um, they've donated um, plots where just with our Jayhawks youth program, the kids were able to uh, learn about nourishment and um, nutrition and adding that part into um, just their lifestyle. And then, um, as I mentioned before, Margarita, she was uh, one of the founders for UPASEC, which is the Utah Pacific Islander Civic Engagement Coalition, which is a, connected heavily with our we're all connected with the Health Coalition, and we don't grow um, in all four seasons. We're very tropical. And so if, when you go to the garden, there's a raised um, garden bed, and you'll see some tropical flowers there. Mm -hmm. uh, thank you for, for Healthy Roots um, bringing that. Hello, everyone. Um, I'm Jacob Semisi Maliatua Talavo Siulam Fitzimanu, Jr. Um, I'm here on behalf of the Utah Pacific Islander Health Coalition, and uh, when we speak of where we're born, we typically um, refer to the place where our umbilicus is buried. And so my, my umbilicus is buried on the island of Teika Maui in a place called Porirua, um, more commonly known as New Zealand. But uh, my mom's family is, uh, has roots in Hawaii, uh, as well as China and Korea and my dad is from Samoa, so that's where this gorgeous mix comes from. <laughs> very, very blessed, blessed and honored to be here with, this, um, with my sisters here on this amazing panel, and I'm looking forward to learning from you all today too. 
Healthy Roots is a program that we've been running through the Pacific Islander Coalition for almost six years now. And it started with uh, a pretty selfish, uh, self-serving uh, motive, which was our foods are sometimes hard to get here. And when they do get here, they've survived weeks on a ship and sometimes they're not that great or they're coated in wax or they're, and they're expensive. And, um, and which is why our people eat a lot of canned foods, actually, and preserved foods. And, and that's not great for nutrition in the end. And that's not what our ancestors ate. That's not our indigenous food ways. And so um, a few uh, of us really wanted to just try it here. We knew the growing season was short, as was mentioned. We knew the soil was different, that the composition. So we kind of nerded out. And we went out and said, who can help us? And we called into gardening shows. We got folks from Utah State Master Garden Program to help us. We went to our own elders in the community who know how to grow these things back home and, and started pretty small scale with about three families. Uh, and the next year that turned into 10, and the next year turned into 25, and the next year we had uh, a commitment with or a contract with um, Wasatch Community Gardens, which was now giving us space because a lot of our folks live in the urban areas or apartments and don't have that space. And uh, then we started taking it to people's backyards. And long story short, this summer, uh, this year, we had 52 families uh, that were engaged in this. And they're not only growing tomatoes and corn and, and the great um, you know, things that are meant to grow here or that have been growing here in this climate, but we're growing taro, we're growing tapioca, we're growing mm. turmeric, we're growing banana trees, we're growing hibiscus, we're growing lao tea, we're growing sweet potatoes. Um, things that our people will eat because we don't eat kale and we don't eat <laughs> celery and, and you know some of these other things uh, and not because they're not good but because the, we're not familiar and they we don't have recipes already with these things built in at least once a week I FaceTime with my mom and it's a rare occurrence if she isn't working in her garden Ranalim mama what are you tending today Pulling up to our Aea Heights home in Oahu over 30 years ago, she saw the beautifully manicured shrubs, small pines, plumeria tree, and decorative rocks the former Japanese owners had lovingly cared for since the 1950s. Today, the front and backyards are still lovingly cared for, but the trees, plants, flora, and animals have changed dramatically. The Puakinikini tree leans over the rock wall of the driveway, pregnant with its sunshine orange, sweet-smelling flowers. The gardenias, wild roses, and banana trees line the other side of the driveway. The Pumeria tree is still there, but has entangled its branches with the guava tree, the favorite front yard tree of my childhood, when I would gather its small brown fruits into the front of my shirt, spread like a bowl, and climb into the big Norfolk pine to savor them while looking out over the view of Pearl Harbor. Enter the backyard and the first creature to greet you will be Oliver, Mama's 400-pound kunekune mix pig, whose presence as our domestic pet is always causing some kind of trouble. Whether it be the noisy baby pua'a or wild boar who gather at the fence, separating the backyard from the mountain forest, and attempts to find refuge with him. Or when he makes a mess digging up the tasty roots mama just planted. Or when the neighbors attempt to evict him from our home by calling animal control. 
Thankfully, he's just too big for anyone to move, so he remains our cherished squatter of the neighborhood. Hand him a cookie. Betty's best chocolate chip macadamia nut are his favorite, thanks to being my favorite, and he'll happily make his way back to his muddy, red dirt corner of the backyard with the white ginger and bird of paradise. Across the yard, you'll find the sweet potato, pumpkins, taro, peppers, and the breadfruit tree she planted just for me. Right in the center of the yard is our um, or as Hawaiians call it, imu, or in Samoan and Tongan, umu, our underground oven, hand-dug and lined with stones by my uncle, where mama cooks turkey, fish, taro, and breadfruit on special occasions. On the other side of the fence leading down into the Kalau'au Valley are the huge 50-foot mango and lychee trees whose shade we sit in on hot days and weave lay with the garden flowers. Nestled between them is a small patch of my cousin's tobacco plants, which he dries himself then rolls into homemade cigarettes. The newest residents of the garden include the two varieties of mountain apple trees, one that births the short, biting, spongy apples, and the other with the longer, juicy, sweet apples, a favorite back home in Chuuk, and the ice cream bean tree, the seeds of which travel to Oahu with us in a gently wrapped, damp paper towel from a recent trip to Hilo. In making this space more familiar to her home and caring for it in the way our ancestors have, my mother has transformed an orderly, unblemished suburban plot into a wild, abundant enclave of Oceania memory and relationality, which the land seems to embrace and celebrate with its enthusiastic nurturance of these leafy, flowering, fruiting, and snorting beings. When listening to our panelists, I'm reminded of these various plant relatives my mama has cultivated in her yard. Ngang Fien Wito, my mother and I are daughters of the Wito clan. Our clan's origin story begins with a plant. It is said that long ago, a chief was making his rounds through the dense brush of our island, Pihirar, when he witnessed a woman growing out of a large grassy plant. From her, the Wito clan was born. As many of our panelists discussed, plants go beyond a mere food source. They are ancestors and relatives relations in and of themselves. Through these shared relations with our plant relatives, we can come into better relation with each other. I also have been thinking about plants, the soil, um, plants that we see nowadays, like especially maybe in these areas, like, oh, this plant's interesting. Um, it's not from here. But it's beautiful, we're going to plant it here. Um, and that's done some damage with, you know, the whole landscape as in the bigger picture uh, with like invasive species. But I had a, a, a relative, a sister from the Bachanga Los Enos band um, in California. And she was talking, there's a lot of invasive plants in California. Um, that take over their traditional medicines. But when she was talking about it, she talked about it in a way of empathy. Like, these plants are also so very much displaced from their homelands. Mm -hmm. 
and like look at them thrive and survive. And when I think about what it means for displaced relatives, even um, being uh, like a climate refugee. So many of us are climate refugees. Um, so many of our homelands have been destroyed. Uranium, coal, um, water contamination, um, like that gold key mine that was built into the San Juan um, that ruined farming for years for our relatives. Um, and so I think bringing in the medicine that you need in your space is like reclaiming that and also like healing that part of you, that connection to home that you don't have access to and that hurts. Like it hurts for everybody. And I think there's like a beautiful grace in that and like thanking the land. Like you provide something for my traditional foods to grow. And like really thanking it, like thanking the land for doing that for you. So it's really fascinating. Um, I have recently like since moving to Utah, I went from Alaska to New York and I lived in New York for seven years um, in the city. And then when I moved here to Utah, I decided I was gonna start committing to having plants again because there was no way out of Manhattan apartment I was gonna start growing anything and then having to move or something like that. So I committed to having a tree in my house. And so um, I've been cultivating that tree for probably three and a half years now and it's amazing that it's still alive but I've also found that technology has helped me a lot in terms of trying to figure out how to keep this alive and it's this huge bird of paradise tree and I it's almost like too big for my place now at this point but I, I feel really accomplished having done that and having learned about this particular plant and developing this like emotional relationship with it like it made me sad when I saw like the like little parasites starting to come out and I'm like oh my gosh what am I going to do like the leaves are starting to wilt and so through the years I've had to repot replant it's been teaching me how to take care of it and I feel like its size itself was unignorable for me so it like taught me I'm like okay I can't let this huge <coughs> thing like die I need to figure out what it needs from me what do I need to do for it to keep it going because I want to keep it with me which it's it's crazy to think that you have like such an emotional tie back to to plants but really like as indigenous peoples we know that you know our ancestors saw ourselves not so different from them and as a part of them and as you point out as our ancestors themselves a space where we come from that we're derived from so i've developed this relationship with this plant and it's taught me so much and i'm so grateful for that you know i like to garden at this point. I don't think it was something that I was super interested in back in my early 20s, but when I was a kid, I remember the magic of it all, and I feel like that magic is coming back to me. That interest is reignited and connecting with others and figuring out new possibilities, new things to grow, and new ways of doing. Um, so I feel incredibly grateful to that tie back to community and the ability to share outside of that and to invite people to know that that's available to them. Um, 
and just to share like as much knowledge as possible it's I for my own like home space like I don't have a garden plot to plant anything probably kill it anyways if I was doing everything on my own but that's what's the beauty of like having a community to teach you that I'm not used to this type of soil like I said like I grew up in Alaska mostly and so you put a seed anywhere and it just like blew up in the summer um, because we have such a short growing season but the soil here is really different so it's amazing to see how much I've learned just like from community events even at the water, carry the water garden as well. The community events there have been really impactful and I've attended a couple and just being able to eat and gather in that space has been really magical for me and transformative. I've only been here for probably a little over four years now and becoming involved and connecting more with my community through these types of like events and programs and through the garden itself has been really like transformative and beautiful for me personally, especially since that's not something like I have at my house at home. I don't own land technically. So it's a cool escape to go to and then also share that with other people. What's also been really great too is the, the former chair, Jen, she has moved to Seattle, but she also has connected with gardening communities there. We've been working with a coalition there called Canoe Journey, and they've also been supplying us medicines as well, and that we've been able to share with individuals here too. So just like building networks, and I think that's really beautiful and um, very rare, I feel, like in everyday life just to, to have that space in those types of relationships to talk about plants and how they nourish us and also how they develop like relationships like one-on-one -on -one within the community. Say why garden? So the first thing that came to my mind was um, it's the Pacific Islander way. It really mm -hmm. is. Um, yeah, we, I mean, our attire, if you see the, the clothing we wear mm -hmm. uh, to celebrate, it's You'll see bark, you'll see feathers, you'll see leaves. Mm -hmm. We wear it, um, we eat it. I mean, land is everything to us. Um, it's a time for us to connect. Um, even if I, you know, I've been to Jake's house and he, he'll tell me like whatever he's growing and I get excited. That's, But I'm like, you know, it's a time to connect. I mean, even I tell Chamali who's here, um, we had the Silas, which is the Tongan Bikers Club. They came and helped out, you know, set up the community shed. I mean, who would have thought Bikers Club and gardening, right? <laughs> so it's a time to collaborate. So I think connection, um, when you talk about gardening, but like I think it's just our Pacific Islander way to just mm. garden. It's mm -hmm. part of us, who we are. We, like I said, we wear, we eat it, it's, it's everything. Yeah. So with gardening, I think um, it, a lot of you mentioned how it provides a resource um, for us as a community um, and the importance of sharing that, um, even with our younger um, age community members. Because, of course, um, the more generations here in the U.S., uh, they'll forget. They forget what it is like to live in the islands and mm -hmm. to understand what our foods are. He talks about canned foods. I mean, 
We didn't have sugar and flour. Those things weren't, is not a norm in uh, the Pacific Islander diet. Um, but the healthier foods, the taro, the, you know, taro plants, the bananas. And so I think um, to maybe have a greenhouse that, and I always, I'll text Jake and say, hey, these guys have a greenhouse, you know, because I understand that the season, the climate is not, you know, friendly for the food that we grow. And so uh, that's a dream to be able to see that. And if I could add on that, you know, we're such humble people. So much has been taken away from us. So anything that we are given, we're just like, thank you. But that is not too much to ask for. I want the tallest, biggest greenhouse for your community. They're yeah. taking notes over there. Those are the bosses over there. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm serious. Yeah. If this can happen with yeah. that much money, that can happen and yeah. should happen. Yeah. Like I know my partner's Kanaka, having that abundance is doing something and sharing it. It's just, it's the way that you, you all operate yeah. and it's beautiful. Yeah. And I want that for you guys here because you are such beautiful community members <laughs> and you do take care of everyone and you think about all the indigenous relatives here and you include them in that process. And I, I personally feel your gratitude and like that respect and walking in a good way here. Um, we all come from different places. This might not be my land, or but we share this space together and yeah, I want good things for for you guys in a way. Thank you so much. I don't know, for, for me myself, um, I think about how growing up I didn't necessarily have the education I wanted, you know, outside or having um, <coughs> teachers or elders to guide me, but I have an opportunity now. And so I think about the seventh generation, you know, what can I do for, you know, being, um, you know, matriarch, I guess, in my family? What can I do for my nieces and nephews? What can I do for their children? And it always comes back to gardening. So um, I'm, I feel fortunate because my, my mother was a horticulture agent for the county growing up, and I wish I had all of her knowledge, but I definitely don't. Um, you know, my grandmother and grandfather also were farmers, and same on my fraternal side, so I just feel like um, no matter what I do with my life, as long as I am indigenous wherever I am, I will leave a lasting impact on all of my relatives, and that's mm. the kind of person I want to be. So mm. through land and through that connection, like I hope I can leave a small little imprint here and wherever I am. So. Mm. Last year, in an anti-way writing retreat led by Yakima scholar Michelle Jacob, she asked us to meditate on a beloved place that brings feelings of warmth and peace. The first place that came to my mind was my mama's backyard. It surprised me. Our home has not always been a place of peace. I spent the majority of my adolescence looking out over the city, fantasizing about running away or asking friends' parents to drop me off on a side road, too ashamed to let them see our overground yard, 
busted but still in use outdoor furniture, and garage turned makeshift kitchen where my cousins used the yard hose in the driveway to wash the dishes and kerosene stoves to make atalan palewa with arang, a delicious sweet coconut dumpling soup, or atalan paquin, a hearty pumpkin rice stew with coconut milk. But that morning, I meditated on all of those things that brought me embarrassment as a teenager, all of those things that my mama had worked so hard to nurture and cultivate, all of those things that made me chukis, and they brought me peace. My mama's garden teaches growing beyond borders, welcoming unexpected company, and finding relations among the various beings that call a place home especially the original inhabitants of that place. As our panelists discussed, gardens are powerful tools, teachers, and bearers of indigenous knowledges. I just want to know, did anyone have indigenous teachers growing up? Like K through 12? Mm-hmm. Yeah, me neither. Okay, so one person, I'm, I'm already <laughs> jealous, you know? <laughs> but I... It, what has been really impactful to me about the garden or you know what Tom has provided us where we have an opportunity to do this is learn and practice like indigenous teachings, which I didn't have the space before. And even if I had you know my own space at home, it's not the same. It's, it's bringing together as a community, braiding sweetgrass together and learning how about just these plants that we're growing is really beautiful. That's my actually my favorite part about the gardening is that the plants teach us. The plants in our culture are, they have stories, they have genealogies. Um, there are certain vegetables that are our ancestors that we descend from. And it's mm-hmm. cool to work with these kids at the Granite School District and, and teach them not just about the nitrogen cycle and all these cool, you know, biological photosynthesis, um, but also remind them like, bro, we have an actual connection. Our genealogy links us to these plants and they nourish us not just physically, but spiritually. Um, And so we do have to work with greenhouses with the Granite School District. We have a contract with their GTI program where their young students uh, in GTI are growing the seedlings in December, January, February, March, so that by the time we can plant them around Mother's Day, they're already big and strong. We can put them in the ground and they can last and we can harvest. Our old folks have been watching the stars this past, uh, this week, Wednesday, just a couple of days ago, um, the Matali, which is an important constellation that marks our harvest season, um, rose for the first time this year at sunset, which means that next Thursday, which is the new moon after the rising of Matali, is our new year. This is our harvest and our, our bountiful season. Um, it doesn't look like it here in Utah, but in Samoa and in Tonga and other places in the Pacific, they're celebrating their first fruits festival next Thursday, and I'm really happy and grateful for our partners here that will be doing the same in this very building and out here uh, watching the new moon and the stars rise next Thursday or next Wednesday, right? And um, presenting those fruits. And so uh, we present them to our families, to our chiefs, to our ancestors. You know, I don't even know if they were called gardens. Like when I go back to thinking about how my people grew food, it wasn't a garden, it was, it was, the connection to the season, the stars, um, how we pray with our corn pollen, um, how we bless our young ones, how we communicate with the holy people, and all these 
plants, relatives who like teach us things, who really, when you're in pain or you're grieving, there is a certain medicine that has a certain teaching that really eases like your heart and your spirit and it nourishes and you also can see it when like you gift it to somebody else and you administer that medicine to somebody else. I feel like from the earliest memory I have of actually like planting something and watching it grow, it's almost like it's teaching you about what's going to happen to you itself, like the cycle of your own life. And it's in a smaller, like more visible way, I think just the observation of it is really remarkable and fascinating. But just to, a reminder that everything has its season and there are cycles to everything, I think like you see some of the seeds that don't come up and do not grow and that fail and um, I felt a lot of that failure because I am not super good at gardening and so I feel grateful for those who have taught me better ways of, of doing but I think like I've seen a lot of seedling failure for me and it reminds me about something about us as human beings that you know some of us cannot produce and some of us do, and we have our, you know, our fruits that we bear, and you know, eventually we will die as well. And so I think there's something really spiritual um, about that type of knowledge being taught to you in a nonverbal way. Yeah, as, as I mentioned, I stumbled across gardening uh, quite accidentally, um, not intentionally. Um, and now I see it as, why gardening? I see it as such a powerful, tool for pedagogy and learning and now that I have little kids and I realize that I'm not getting younger I feel this sense of urgency to pass on whatever I had gleaned from my parents and grandparents and what I continue to learn mm -hmm. and we learn in pedagogy right that there are folks who are visual learners and auditory learners and tactile learners and the more um, of those different contexts we can present information in the better hopefully it will stick with students and so with my kids uh, and I when I say my kids I mean everybody's kids whoever's mm -hmm. participating around us um, I have learned that gardening like touches on everything because you're you're hearing the wind rustling through you're seeing things grow you're touching the soil and the seeds and you're harvesting and you're tasting right you don't get that from flashcards you can't taste well you could taste a flashcard you, <laughs> you're using all the senses and not only that, to what this, uh, my sisters have mentioned, there's a spiritual connection to it, right? And not in terms necessarily of religious fervor, but I think that's one that as professional educators, we don't talk about a lot. We talk more about, you know, the auditory and visual and tactile and um, interpersonal connections. But I think gardening uh, touches on all of our senses uh, and also connects us to the things that are not seen and are intangible. And for me, that's why I see gardening is working. We're passing on stories, uh, as well as scientific knowledge and a little bit of school stuff here and there. Mm -hmm. um, but it's a way that presents that material to young folks and old folks and adults um, in a way that touches all the different senses and also touches uh, the soul. There are so many, so many, so many, so many cool ways to integrate indigenous knowledge and mm -hmm. into the into what we're trying to do with our little garden program. But I, for me, I think one of the coolest um, results, I guess, of this is reestablishing connections that are intergenerational. Mm -hmm. And so having you know really young kids learning from grandparents or great-grandparents who have living memory of growing these things in the islands that we don't necessarily have. 
And even though the context is different here, reestablishing that connection to me has been really, really rewarding to see. Because the reality is, as immigrant peoples, when we come here, um, we seek expertise uh, outside of our community because we're new here. And so if we're looking for, to get into college or to get a home loan, and, I mean, if you're the first generation coming, um, the people at your sides are asking the same questions. And so we go outside and then we uh, almost put folks on a pedestal uh, because we're grateful for the help that they've given us and the expertise that they have. And sometimes that comes at the detriment of acknowledging and honoring the expertise and the intellect and, and the, mm -hmm. the, the wonderful depth of knowledge that we have in our own families and in our own communities because we've, you know, we've relied on that expertise from outside. So at least with gardening, um, that's been a really cool thing to see. And, and Sia shared a story of one of the uh, Rose Park gardening sites even that um, individuals who weren't even part of that group, you know, of, uh, that was a formal group, notice these plants growing in the you know as they drive by and you know they'd see people out there who weren't part of the group but they wanted to help and they were watering or they were just sitting in the shade and just admiring these you know reminders of home and and then being able to work with the youth and be like oh why are you guys doing that you need to do it like this you know and those kinds of things i i think that integration has um, or that experience has been really really neat to see I've met so many young indigenous people who have been kept from their traditional beliefs and pr traditional ways, whether that be through colonization directly or through religious um, um, reasons and missing out on many traditions that they should be entitled to, but being dissuaded by religion itself. Um, I've, I feel like a lot more um, indigenous youth are sharing those types of stories. And I think the gardens have been ways to like reconnect with the ways of knowing um, and a path back to tradition in ways as an adult you can freely do and express. Whereas a lot of um, these youth or young adults had like been suppressed from that, whether through like a parent or whether through like an adoptive system where they weren't able to really practice their traditional beliefs. I think that's been really powerful and that's been incredible to see. So I think like other indigenous gardeners showing the next generation the way forward has been really powerful and just new ways of doing things that it doesn't have to be a huge garden. It can be as simple as a single pot in your house and start with that and start with that medicine. Um, I think social media has been really incredible for indigenous peoples in terms of learning and how to learn from another whether you're on the different side of the world has been really incredible um, I know even just with experience with Jen and her working with a collective called canoe journey in Seattle of like hey what what is this like tea how am I supposed to like they sent it to us and I'm like how am I supposed to make it into tea like how much water like how much this or that do you guys have seeds I really like this so I'd like to make it myself so those types of things of so just reconnecting with um, our communities and learning about other indigenous communities that I wasn't so familiar with has been really incredible. Um, I'm really grateful for that and just to be able, the ability to share what I do know or you know even just oral um, storytelling of things that I remember like 
off of my father's reservation being able to like stop at the side of the road and pick up Indian tea, take it home, dry it for the amount of time that was right, and then, you know, make myself and my sisters a cup of tea. Like, that, to me, is just such a an incredible memory. Like, the smell itself, whenever I smell it now, I can see all those moments that have passed. So I really appreciate that, and I think, like, working with um, other, like, elders and just those who already know the way they're not going to be here forever so I think gaining that knowledge has been really um, incredible and I'm just uh, grateful for that and continue to share as much knowledge as I have with anyone that I may connect with but also with my son um, this idea of sovereignty and self-sufficiency mm -hmm. and and again I know that our garden is still small but those are the kinds of principles I think about. Um, another big thing that's always in my mind is always climate change. And no matter what kind of avenue I seem to go down, whether it's you know, social justice, human rights, you know, all these big kind of things that are coming, I always come back to like gardening is the solution. And I think the experts in our gardening space are indigenous people because they've had the most experience over time and land and wisdom you know, years, um, that they have that knowledge. So to me, it just makes sense that we need to remember or connect with however you see that in yourself. In part two of this episode, Miley will share her story of gardening and highlight the wisdom our panelists shared on healing, grief, medicine, and home. In the meantime, what have you learned from gardens? Our theme song is Lift Me Up by Hadium. Special thanks to our panelists, Danae Shandine, Michelle Brown, Dee Platero, Lucia Satini, and Jake Fatissimano Jr. Thanks to our hosts at the Tracy Aviary Jordan River Nature Center, CEO Tim Brown, co-directors Marissa Beckstrom and Daniel Hernandez, and other Nature Center staff. Our thanks also to Kehalani Vaughn, Aline Fonua, and Lorelai Pope for organizing this event with us. Finally, we thank our sponsors, the Mellon Foundation, the University of Utah's School for Cultural and Social Transformation, and the University of Utah's College of Humanities. This has been Relations of Salt and Stars with hosts Miley Arvin and Angela L. Robinson. Kineso Chapur and Mahalo Nui Loa for listening. Join us next time.